Izzy's been um, using the microphone and um, it turns out that um, apparently using the microphone because he's copying me involves kissing it. Um, so, because of course I operate very close. Um, I think the thing that's also going to excite Josh most this morning is uh, for one of the first times in his life, he actually has control, obviously not at the second, of my volume. Um, and so I think, I think he's going to... So if he turns me down, you know I've gone too long. Sorry? Okay. <laughs> I've got the power now. All righty. <coughs> Thank you to... Um, to the, I wouldn't say Karen and Joe's small group, but it's not just yours. It's Rach and Ben's and it's um, Lisa and Phil's and it's Sarah and Jeff's and it's... Sorry? Kaz and Trev as well. Awesome. So, like, I know that for small groups it is really stressful leading the service and it... Um, it can be really hard work and particularly for the small group leaders. But actually, when our small groups lead the service, it's a real blessing to our church um, because it, it brings something different from what the ones of us who usually do it do. And I've just really valued um, what's happened so far this morning. So thank you so much. Um, this morning, I have made sure that everybody has paper and everybody has texters and Michelle's brought her own. I love it. She knows. I have a feeling that's in your handbag just as a matter of course. Yeah, it lives in there. I just, I love it. Um, I wanted to give you a specific assignment today and you can choose to accept or reject that assignment depending on how follow the leader you are. Um, What I wanted you to do today, and there is coloured paper at the back if you'd prefer to use, but I want you, as as we're doing this, um, to think about, you might like to do it in words or you might like to do it in images, but... What does, this is going to be a strange question, but what does your head look like when you pray? Like what's going on in your brain? What, what mental pictures do you have of what's happening with your prayers? Does that make sense? Am I the only person who sort of thinks that way? So for example, depending on how I'm feeling at the time, when I pray, I picture my brain, or my, my skull, more specifically, blocking everything. So I imagine these prayers in my brain, it's an empty space, my skull. It's this prayer and it's stuck. Like it's going nowhere beyond my own skull. So that's one of the mental pictures I have. That's obviously when I'm not in the greatest place, feeling most connected. Um, other times I imagine it like a dove carrying that prayer up to the Father. So sometimes it kind of flaps out of my head. Sometimes it's like candle smoke. You know when you blow out a candle and the smoke goes up? Sometimes it's like that. So is there something for you? What's your kind of mental... Do you have a picture of what your prayers are doing while you're doing them? Or are there words that describe how you feel when you're praying? How they're actually making... Does that make sense? Steph's like, I do not think in that way. Yeah. See, the thing is, since my diagnosis, I have no idea if what I do is normal or whether it's actually part of a neurodivergent thing. So, like I said, feel free to use where I can't draw those things because I don't have the the talent to do it. But if there's something that sort of 
something that you think when you pray or a mental picture or something like that, if you want to give it a go drawing it and if you manage to work it through, then feel free to show me at the end. I'd love to find out if anyone else thinks like I do. (laughs) Or if you don't, just go, it goes to God. Tick. And that would be great. But anyway, so just to give you something to kind of doodle on that's not just doodling. Or you can reflect on anything that I say today. Anyway, I'm going to pray too, um, just because we can never have enough prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for bringing us together this morning and we thank you uh, for the ways that you do bring us together all the time. We thank you that you bring us together to learn and to grow uh, from one another, um, but also uh, by your word, by your spirit and from you. And so we look forward to learning together today. I pray that um, the things that I say might be helpful and uh, might be uh, in accordance with your will and your word. Um, Anything that's not, Lord, please um, make it forgettable instantly. Uh, And we thank you for the preparation that you have done in each of us to bring us here today. We pray for um, that we will be changed as a result of what we hear today by your spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So last week I sort of talked about um, why we pray the way that we do, why the, what the Bible kind of tells us and the patterns that we use and, and how, how we know that we should pray. What I wanted to talk about today was the mechanics of prayer, what actually happens when we pray. Um, and so I'm not looking at uh, the, the actual methods of prayer. I'm not looking at the way that we pray in terms of the position that we hold or um, the words that we say or, um, or what kind of, like whether we close our eyes or close our hands or bow our head or stand and raise hands and all that kind of stuff because that's, that's more of a personal expression. That's not prescribed in the scriptures in the same way. What I wanted to talk about is actually the method of how our prayers get to where they need to go um, to be heard. Um, so um, part of the question that I wanted to re-hit back on is why do we pray? Just to really quickly recap, why do we pray? pray? It's because we're told to in the scriptures, um, because it's been something that has marked the people of God as separate from every other people group beforehand who has prayed to their God, that we have a direct relationship to our God and that he lovingly wants to respond to our prayers. It's been our privilege since the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden that Jesus, sorry, God, um, God, in the biggest sense, God was in the garden, in personal relationship with Adam and Eve, uh, right through, um, all the way through the Old Testament and into the New. It's an indication that the Lord is present with his people. And that, um, that we have relationship with him. But the thing that's most unbelievable about it at all is the fact that it's communication of a human being with God, the creator of the universe. Like that God who created everything that we see, experience, all the intricacy and the diversity and the holiness and the justice and all the things that he is and the most loving and the most uh, righteous 
that he wants to be in relationship with us and we get to talk to him like he's our dad. It's just incredible that these flawed people that he has created gets to be in communication with him. It's just huge. And so it's, a, and it's an extraordinary blessing and privilege that we get to do that. And so it's something that can excite us, that we get to bring these things to God and he cares and he listens and he acts. So we pray because it's a privilege. It's our privilege. It's unique to God's people. Um, and because it's a mark of who he is in relation to us. Um, but we also have a greater relationship because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we have an even greater intimacy with God because Jesus did what needed to happen to bring us into complete relationship again um, or into almost complete relationship completed at the return of Jesus. We have a greater intimacy with God than the Old Testament people did because we've got Jesus who did his thing that meant that we are now somebody that God sees as perfect and that we are holy because Jesus covers our sin with his holiness. Um, so, and prayer is an expression of that, that we, because of what Jesus has done, we can approach the Father in a way that the Old Testament people never had the opportunity to do. So prayer is an expression of that privilege, and so that's why we pray. The Bible tells us to, but also it's, it's, it's our privilege. It's our joy that we get to be able to do that. So how do we pray? We pray to a triune God, a God who has three persons within the Godhead. Um, And each member of the Trinity has a role in our praying and they're distinct. um, And it's really helpful to understand them, I think. Um, So the New Testament's most common pattern is that we pray to the Father, through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. So that's how it kind of works. And you'd know that pattern. You will have heard that before. Through the Father, sorry, to the Son, through the Father, by the Holy Spirit. Um, So that's what we're going to um, look at today, the different ways that they operate. Um, And you can pray without understanding those things. You can pray to the Father and not understand how it's actually working. But a more robust, more vital, more sort of life-giving way is understanding this because then, because the more we learn, the more we can engage and the more that we understand, the more we can see the enormity of what's actually happening and it, it just helps us to get excited, I think, more so. So we pray to the Father. So let's start with him. We pray to the Father. So, and a lot of this language has come about because of what Jesus did. So when, uh, in the Old Testament, God referred to himself, to himself occasionally as father, but it's not how he primarily interacted with the Israelites. So he was Yahweh. He was the father who was with them. He was the God who was with them, but he was distinctly different from them. Uh, there were very special things that you had to do. Um, so his relationship was not one of father and children. It was more, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the refrain that happens throughout the Old Testament. So the idea of God as father comes to more prominence in the scriptures with Jesus. So because he often talks about the father, that's when we start to think about him in those terms more so. Um, so he is the son. Because the son has appeared, he's going to refer to his father. That's what's going to make sense. So the son has finally appeared. 
God is his father. And the way he talks about it initially is in a fairly exclusive sense. He's the son. He has a father in heaven. But because of what he did, because we have been adopted into Jesus' family, into God's family, we now call him father too. So we address God as father because he's adopted us into his family. So we are part of the family of God that includes Jesus. Jesus is truly our brother, which is mind-blowing, I think. Um, And so because we've been adopted into the family, we too can call him father. And that shapes the way that we relate to him. He's not just, I will be your God and you will be my people and there is a distinct difference between you and me. We have been adopted as children of God. He is now our Father in exactly the same way that Jesus declares him his Father. Which again is insane that we can stand on that same footing because we've been adopted to the same level of relationship that Jesus has with the Father. So Luke 11, 1 to 11 This is um, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father. So that's that first kind of element of saying, He is now your Father, the way He is my Father. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Obviously a shortened version from what we see in Matthew 6. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? So we've got this new relationship that is, you can come to him as a father. He will treat us as friends. Um, we are, um, he, he will respond to the request of his children with love. Because we know how to do that. Can you imagine how much better God does? It's ultimately what Jesus is saying. If then, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Um, we may expect also that he will empower us for the task of service in the face of opposition from Satan. So because he has called us to do this task of evangelism and service and all those sorts of things, that he will empower us for that task and he will do it so that we can overcome the opposition of Satan. So we see in Luke 10, he just sent out the 72 
um, into mission in various towns. And they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. We are part of a family that has been given not only the ability to overcome the things that Satan does because Jesus and um, the Holy Spirit and the Father are at work in us, but because we have been set apart to actually be with God in eternity. And that's the bigger, the bigger reward that we have. So we can see what he wants to do in us. We can see what he has promised us. Um, and so we pray to the Father because we have that relationship. He is our Father. He wants to give us good things. He wants to help us overcome. And he wants us to be with him in eternity. And so because we can know God as Father, the perfect Father, we can have confidence when we pray, especially in our requests, because he wants to give us good things. He is our Father. What was the line that was to the, to the bloke upstairs? What was the line that the... Yeah, yeah. Like we can have that element of casual relationship and it's okay. But at the same time, we need to counterbalance that with a holy, perfect, just God who deserves respect and awe and so we can approach in that way, but we can also approach in the way of being amazed and um, humbled. And my dad would hate that I just used that word, humbled. It's like nobody ever uses it in the right context. We can feel humility. Well, yeah, but like it's more, yeah, it's kind of proud, but not. We can, anyway, I'll move on. That's a whole other issue. Anyway, so, so we pray to the Father because we have that relationship. We pray through the Son. So that is, when we say through the Son, we're talking about in the name of the Son and on his authority. So uh, his authority as a redeemer, which stems from his successfully completed work on, and death, in his death and resurrection. So because of who Jesus is, because he died on the cross, because he was resurrected, because he was sinless, perfect sacrifice and triumphed over death, because he is perfect and we are hidden in him, we have that same relationship. If Jesus had not done those things, we would have not a leg to stand on. 
in the face of the Father. We wouldn't have the relationship and we wouldn't have the sinless perfection that he ascribes from Jesus to us. So prayer is possible the way that we do it because of what Jesus did, because of the completed work in his death and resurrection. So we know because of um, extended arguments in Hebrews that Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice. We have to trust this. If he's not the sufficient sacrifice, if it's not everything was done by his sacrifice on the cross, we don't have a leg to stand on. We don't want to have to go back to the old practices. The whole reason for the letter of Hebrews was to try and convince people that the old ways of Judaism were not worth returning to, that actually they didn't need to. They didn't need to keep the old laws. They didn't need to do the old behaviours. They just needed to trust that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough. The thing that we um, also need to remember from Hebrews a whole stack of passages. If you want to be able to read it, just let me know and I can um, give you a whole lot of verses. Um, We see Jesus as a high priest who is sinless yet human. So he's not just a sacrifice, but he's also a high priest. So because of that, Jesus gives us confidence to approach the Father in prayer in spite of our own unworthiness. He is the priest who intercedes for us. He is the one who is holy But he's also human. He is our equal as far as humanity is concerned. So because he's entirely human, we have that same confidence just as we could have confidence as Israelites that the sacrifice that the priest would have made was sufficient to cover that day or that month or whatever it was that the sacrifice was attempting to cover. So he understands our struggle against sin. He's got that entire humanity in, us, in him as well. So he understands what we're going through. He understands the desperation of being in need. And his presence in heaven is his priestly intercession on our behalf. So it's not that he's doing it on earth and he's making sacrifice like the priests once did, but he's actually standing in heaven doing those things for us. But... The thing that's interesting is that instead of like the other priests who also stood to make sacrifice, he is presented as seated because the job is done. There is no more to be done. So he's seated in heaven, not standing to make sacrifice because the sacrifice has been made. So the significance of all of this and the thing that I find really, really exciting is that there is nothing that we can do to make our prayers more acceptable to God. Absolutely nothing. Because it's been entirely done. Which I think, knowing, you know, like when I see the skull that traps things, that actually there is nothing that I, I don't... There's no words that I can say. There's no posture. There's no quantity. There's no... Thing, specific thing that needs to be done to actually make my prayers acceptable to God, more acceptable to God, because Jesus has already done it all. Just like he's done with our sinful behaviours and like he's literally covered everything. There's not a thing God didn't think of. And I just find that amazing. Jesus' death and resurrection have achieved all that is necessary for us to approach the Father with confidence That he will accept us in love, not because we are worthy, but because he has been reconciled to us through his son. Because of what Jesus did, 
We come in our weakness, both spiritual and physical. We come with mixed emotions, questions and doubts and joy and excitement and hesitation. We come fully exposed. God already knows. He knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows He knows us intimately and he cannot be deceived. So we come in that status to a God who could do whatever he likes and yet we come in confidence because of what Jesus did and what he continues to do by standing in our stead. The other bit that's really exciting, so that's the father and the son, some people would kind of stop there because the gospel, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be a heretic. The gospel is all there is and it's like, I could stop there. But the Trinity has three elements and the spirit is critical. The thing that we don't often talk about in our church is the Holy Spirit in, um, in sort of focused ways. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the thing, the element, the person, not thing, the person who makes it all real. So the Spirit makes the gospel, the good news of Jesus, felt at the level of experience in our daily lives. The Spirit's role in prayer then is to enable us to pray with the conviction that the gospel is true. So the Spirit makes us know that we are sons of the Heavenly Father. The Spirit enables us to pray with the freedom which comes with knowing in our hearts that the Father receives us as children because it's the Spirit who makes our adoption into the Father's family a fact we experience in our hearts and not just an idea. All of this could sit very happily just in our brains and we'd have to convince ourselves of it every day. But the Spirit is the one who actually gives us the capacity to even understand that this could be true and to remind us consistently that it is true. Without the Spirit at work in us, this is all information and you could give or take it. And so the Spirit, by dwelling in us, does the act of sanctification. He makes us more like Jesus. He makes us more like God by making this real for us. He encourages us with the hope we have in Christ. But as I mentioned last week, he works with us in the daily struggle as we sit in the tension of what this world looks like now and the world that we are looking forward to, the new heavens and the new earth. He is the one that meets us in that messy middle place, gives us hope, gives us confidence of what is to come and also helps to intercede for us in the words that groans cannot express. So he enables us to pray 
He prays on our behalf and he does this because we are weak as we live in the tension and as we're unsure of how best to pray in all sorts of situations. But as we live in that tension between the hope of eternal life and the present reality of life on this side of the grave. Without the Spirit, we are empty. And none of this lands. And so, whilst you can't put a hierarchy <laughs> on, the, on the Trinity, you can't remove an element and have it work. The Father and the Spirit without Jesus is empty. The Son and the Spirit without the Father is empty. The Father and the Son without the Spirit is empty. And so we need to recognise that all three elements have huge significance, as much significance as the other persons in the Trinity. And yet we tend to forget the Spirit. He is the one who enables us to do anything that we do that is to the glory of God. And I am constantly amazed that the Spirit dwells in us. Like that the God of holiness and justice and mercy and love and creativity and all the things, all the amazing things that we ascribe to God chooses us, broken and messy and sinful and unholy and unloving and unjust and all the things that we are, that he chooses to dwell in us and change us from the inside. That's just because of what Jesus did. He can do that. Amazing. So, in conclusion, Christian prayer is the natural expression of a relationship created by the Father when he adopted us into his family. We pray to the Father on the basis of what our Saviour has done on our behalf. So that is, we pray in his name. So we pray with the assurance that we are presented as perfect to the Father who loves us and has called himself our Father through our adoption into childhood with Jesus. We pray on Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, because he stands perfect and he stands in our place. And we pray with the vital assistance of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit enables us to pray with the conviction that the gospel is true, that we can approach God as we do because it's truth that enables us to do that. We are indeed God's adopted children. So the Spirit also assists us to pray when experiences in this life obscure our hope eternal. And when circumstances have rendered us completely speechless before the Father, the Spirit intercedes. What an extraordinary privilege. And so you can pray not knowing these things. And your prayers, because of Father, Son and Spirit, because of them, they do what they do 
We don't have to know it. They will do it. But how much more amazing is it when we know what they're doing? I love it. (laughs) This is why I love the intellectual pursuit and why I love learning and understanding and, and why I want to share it with you. So, that's the message done for today. What I wanted to give you a heads up on next week, especially for families with children, so that you can talk your children through it before. <laughs> that's very cute. Um, is that we've got windows, uh, raspberries being blown on the windows. Um, is that next week we're going to have more of a prayer station set up, but it will be very children-friendly and adult-friendly. So I'm already planning how I can make use of the baptismal to throw things into. I'm already in a very non-heretical way. Um, I'm planning... (laughs) We'll (laughs) We'll see how heretical it ends up being. I'm already planning a whole heap of stuff that's interactive that can give us tools... Um, (laughs) because apparently we don't talk to our children about prayer and we certainly don't pray with them. Um, I know that's not true. Um, To give us tools, but also to engage personally. So I'm hoping that it's not going to feel like the kids are bored or the adults are distracted or that it's all for kids or all for adults. We'll see. If you have ideas, there'll be creative things, there'll be movement things, there'll be... So if you've got anything that you want to suggest, then feel free. Um, it's my small group that's looking after it, so watch out, Naomi. Creative hat on. John, he's not even here. Um, so, yeah, so come prepared to move, to pray, to put some of this stuff into practice. Um, let me pray, amazingly enough. Heavenly Father, um, what an extraordinary privilege it is to know that because of who your son is, that we are also adopted as sons and daughters. And that because of the work of your Holy Spirit in us, that we even have an inkling of what's happening. We thank you for your scriptures that help us to understand. We thank you for your spirit who makes it land, makes it real, makes it not just head knowledge but heart knowledge. We thank you for all the ways that you have covered all that we do so that we might be in relationship with you. We thank you that there is nothing that we can do or say that makes our prayers unpalatable to you. That we can't improve upon what Jesus and what your spirit already have done. And we thank you that you have orchestrated all. We thank you for each of the persons of the Trinity. And we pray that we would continue to seek, continue to grapple, continue to learn and grow, continue to come to you in prayer that we may come praying your will be done that we will bring all things that worry or excite or that we're thankful for 
or that we're hopeful for, that we can bring all those things to you and that you desire to give good gifts to us. We thank you that we can learn about this together as your church, as your community, and that we can encourage one another in this. We thank you that you've made yourself known to us, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.